Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Jason Espy. I'm an elder here. And uh, before we get into the scripture reading, um, is Jesus not worthy? Isn't he worthy? And is he Lord of your life? I just want to ask you that. Um, today we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 7:14 through 29. I'm going to be reading through from the NSAB if you want to join along. Verse 14, it says, In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Verse 15, I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life and his wickedness. Do not be excessively righteous, and do not be overly wise. Why should you... You ruin yourselves. Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. Also, Do not take seriously all words which are spoken, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that you likewise have many times cursed others. Verse 23. I tested all this with wisdom and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Verse 27, behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright. But they have sought out many devices. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Uh, As you can probably tell, today's passage is going to be interesting. Um, But as as I just reflect upon this book and just this church, I am convinced that the Lord is working here. And I'm convinced that, here's the thing, I have been preaching almost on a weekly basis, preaching or teaching the scripture for almost 20 years, and every week that goes by, I am more and more convinced of three things. That the Bible is truth, that God is real, and that Jesus is Savior. Uh, Today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We are in our ninth week of a 14-week series, walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through Solomon's magnum opus. If you are new here, that's kind of what we do. We, we walk verse by verse, chapter through chapter, 
through books of the Bible. I've preached, I don't know how many books, probably 80. I'm just kidding. Uh, there's only 66 in the scripture, so I can wouldn't be possible. The book of Hezekiah. Um, it's there. Uh, but it's just, that's kind of what we do. And today's passage is really pretty difficult to interpret. It's pretty difficult to understand. But one thing is for sure, that today's passage, Solomon unpacks for us. He talks about pain and temptation. Be encouraged. Um, pain and temptation. Can I just speak? We don't like to talk about that. But it is just a part of life. That we will experience pain and temptation in life under the sun. I like to tell young people that if you live long enough, that you will experience tragedy. Solomon today corrects our view on pain and temptation. And this book on life, on life under the sun, would seem incomplete without a thorough discussion on the topic. I want to do a test this morning. I want to, I want to, I want to just want to ask you two questions this morning, and I will ask everybody that's over the age of 30 to raise your hand if you find this to be true. And if you don't want to admit that you're over 30, I get it. It's cool. Um, question number one, and raise your hand if this is true. How many of you have ever experienced something painful? Let me ask you that again, okay, because not as many hands have raised up as that. How many of you have ever experienced something painful? Thank you. Question number two is how many of you have ever experienced temptation? Can I just speak for just a second? We think pain is unique to us. Pain is just part of life. I mean, look around you. 100% of the hands should have been raised, okay? Maybe they're just self-conscious about their age or something, okay? Um, But 100% of the people in this room's hands should be raised. That pain and suffering and trials and tribulations is just part of it. It's part of life, living in a broken world underneath the sun, and temptation is also just part of it. Can I just speak? We think that pain is unique, but it's not. My pain is unique to me. But pain as an institution is not unique. Pain and temptation is a common bond that we have. If they can endure, then you can endure. If they can overcome temptation, you can overcome temptation. If they can endure and remain faithful to the cause of Christ in the midst of the darkest valleys of their life, so can you. You are not alone. When you suffer, man, this is a positive sermon today, all right, that when you suffer or when you go through temptation, what is a lie that the enemy plants in your mind? That you are alone, that you can't trust anybody, but look around you, how many hands went up? It's just a reality of life, that suffering and trials and tribulations and temptations from the enemy are rampant. Do not let the enemy fool you to think that you are alone. You need people in this room to encourage one another. Confess your sins with one another. Pray for one another so you can be healed. Stimulate one another toward love and good deeds. Forgive each other. Encourage one another. You are not alone. Despite what the world may say and despite what the enemy may say in your ear. Listen to me, friends. When you handle pain and temptation well it actually makes you it 
increases your faith. It helps you grow in your trust of the Lord. But when you do not handle it well, there are really only two outcomes that happen. Number one, you will walk away. How many of you have ever seen a Christian that faced tremendous pain and temptation and walked away? Okay, a bunch of us. We've seen it over and over again. When you do not handle it well, you will, number one, walk away. And if you endure, if you remain faithful to God, but you do not handle it well, what's going to happen? That the enemy gets a foothold. And then he sets up camp. And then he gets a stronghold. And what he does with that trauma and with the lies that you believe because of the pain and temptation that you have, that you have faced, what he does is he uses that as a rudder to direct your life towards shipwreck. I've seen it. Man, let me just say something. This is totally off script. I've seen so many people. I would argue to say that I would say the majority of Christians that start off when they face pain, the majority of them run right into the rocks and abandon the faith altogether. But look around you. You can endure. Because how many hands went up today? You can face trials and remain faithful to the Lord. You can face temptation and overcome it. But let us be mindful of the enemy. Because he will try to wedge in your life strongholds that cause you to steer towards inevitable disaster. Be encouraged today. Okay, uh, today we are talking about pain and temptation. So what Solomon is really doing, he is correcting our view on those two topics to help us really manage it well. When we face, the question I have this morning is how do we deal with it? How do we handle pain and temptation in life under the sun? And Solomon just gives us wonderful practical wisdom on how to overcome it. So if you have your scripture, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going from verses 20, excuse me, verse 14 through 29. And as I unpack this book, uh, there are two books in my life that have drastically impacted me that I've preached. Number one is the book of Romans, and number two is the book of Ecclesiastes. I hope that you have, have scratched the surface of how revolutionary this book truly is. Because can I just speak? Um, we as Christians, conservative, Bible-believing Christians, um, we've become a little bit doom and gloom, okay? We've become a little bit of Eeyore's. You know, I'm just carrying, I'm bearing my burden, okay? Um, but the scripture says in here to simply enjoy life. Can we do that? What, anyways, sorry. I'm, I'm going off on rabbit trails this morning. But how do we, what is the overall theme? What is the implicit theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? It is a life well lived. How do we have a great life in our 80 years of life under the sun? And how do we have that? How do we gain a life well lived? We embody, we embrace, we live out five principles that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes on every single page, every passage deals or unpacks at least one of these principles. Principle number one is that we simply embrace that life is short. Number two, that we embrace that life is unfair, that there is simply injustice in the world. Why? Because we introduce sin into the world, and because of sin, we live in a darkened society. Principle number three is that we enjoy God's blessings. What were, I believe, Paul and Silas doing in prison? They were singing joy to the Lord singing praises. Sometimes we as Christians, like I've said, we become too much doom and gloom 
instead of just enjoying life. Principle number four is that we are to fear God. We don't really have that one. We should have a conscious realization that God is real and that he actually cares on how we live. That God is sovereign and he is in control. And that he cares if we keep his commandments. Principle number five. And in chapter seven, it really begins the second half of the book of Ecclesiastes. In the first half of the book, Solomon unpacks mankind's plights in life under the sun. And then the second half, he gives us proposals for a great life under the sun. And today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. And Solomon just, oh man, he just rips off band-aids that's painful i'm sorry uh, for that image but that's just kind of what he does today it's real life you know let's not run from the truth let's embrace it let's see what it says for us i had a, a brother in christ come up to me a couple weeks ago and you know he's like barn you know you keep talking about you know how you know that we should enjoy life and enjoy god's blessings and this particular gentleman said well, what about pain and suffering and I said, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Okay, that's what we're talking about today. So if you have your text, look at it with me. We see the problem of pain in verse 14. We see the principle of pain in verse 15. But what I love about this scripture is you see in verse 16 through 25, we see some common sense, some common sense principles. In verse 16 through 25, he doesn't tell us anything revolutionary, anything really new. He just reminds us of the truth. Notice the problem of pain. Be encouraged. Verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be happy. Let's pause right there. Let me insert a note. In the original language, literally it says, in the day of good, be good. Enjoy good while it lasts. That's what he's saying. That if you are going through a good season of your life, if there's peace and prosperity, if your marriage is going well and your kids are happy, great. Rejoice in that. Don't wish that aside. Don't get so doom and gloom that you've forbade it and you forego it. Just enjoy life. In the day of good, be good. If you are in a prosperous season, be happy. Please enjoy it. Go home and enjoy your kids. Put down your phone and just be present with your family. Maybe I could use that one. Um, verse 14, B. In the day of prosperity, be happy. In prosperity, re- enjoy. But, notice the contrast here. But in the day of adversity, that means evil or wrong or bad. Notice the next word, consider. The word consider in the Hebrew means to see or to behold, to step back and look at it. But in the day of evil, consider, whoa, God has made the one as well as the other. Whoa, what is he saying, guys? God has made the one as the other so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Who allows suffering into our life? God has made the one as well as the other. Wait a second. Okay, let me, let's do, do put our theology caps on for just a moment, okay? You're systematic, any systematic theologian nerds in the room, okay? Unite. Okay, who introduced sin into the world? 
we did, right? So we chose in the Garden of Eden, I'm about to say the Garden of Gethsemane, but the Garden of Eden to rebel against God and to introduce darkness and sin and brokenness and thorns and thistles and death and an increase in childbirth and pain. We decided to introduce it, but who allows suffering into our life? But in the day of adversity, behold, God has made the one as well as the other. God allows suffering into our lives. Whoa. Can I, we just, um, can I just speak? We let God off the hook a little too much. Well, God didn't do that. Well, he allowed it. And you think about it, just, okay, am I, is this just this one verse? Okay, let's think about biblical stories. What about Job? Hmm. What happens? God allows his servant Job to suffer. What about David after Bathsheba and his sin with her? What about the Israelites in the desert with the serpent? What about Elimus, the, the sorcerer in the book of Acts? God allows for blessings, but he also allows for pain and suffering. The problem of pain is that God allows suffering. God allows pain into your life. But in the day of adversity, but why? Why does God do that? Why does he allow suffering and adversity into our lives? Notice verse 14. Notice the word so that. But in the day of evil, consider, behold, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man will not discover anything that will be after him. Huh? Pain reminds you of your mortality. And pain reminds you to trust him. Pain reminds you that there is something after you of your mortality and reminds you to trust him. Uh, if you know, let me just speak real quick. If you know my story, then you know my life has not been uh, peaches and roses, okay? Um, about seven years ago, Laura and I lost our firstborn son. And I, I've had a lot of emotions with that obviously um but i just thought about this week how in the world do non-believers endure the pain of the world and i don't know how they do it because god is truly the only source of hope and comfort in this world he's the only one that will restore to us the broken years that will wipe away all the tears from our eyes it makes no sense. I have no idea how people without Christ endure. I mean, friends, God, can I just speak? God does not owe you a perfect life. He owes you Him if you believe in Him. Um, I have seen, I, I look back in my college years, I saw so many Christians start out in the faith. So many of them built their faith upon the emotions and their faith was as about a three inches deep but when the winds of life came by it blew them over i've seen countless christians walk away from the faith at the moment suffering and tribulation and and pain came in i've seen a car wreck people quit a failed marriage they quit a failed church they quit a fired pastor they quit a work injury they quit pain causes people to quit their faith but if we handle it well 
pain should remind us of two things. That we are mortal and that we need God. What does the scripture say in James chapter 1 verse 2? Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the what, testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect results and perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that when you, not if you, but when you experience difficulty, trust the Lord. Um, I've known many Christians that quit. I've probably known more Christians that quit that actually stay the course. Um, but I went up to one of them recently who has gone through a lot. He's about my age. And I simply asked him, I said, you know, why, why did you not quit? You know, why did, when you, I know your story. I know that you've experienced pain. I know that God has allowed you trials and adversity in your life. Why have you not quit? And he said the same thing I told you earlier. He said, Byron, I'm convinced that God is the only source of hope. He is. Friends, he is there. He is waiting for you to come to him. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. He wants you to trust him in the midst of pain. Notice the principle of pain in verse 15. I've seen everything during my lifetime of utility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. What is he basically saying? If you have not been convinced that one of the principles in the book of Ecclesiastes is that life is simply unfair, then there is proof of the pudding right there. I have seen everything during my lifetime of utility. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. In other words, what? The principle is that pain happens to everyone. The righteous and the wicked. That pain is everywhere. Injustice and unfairness is rampant. The righteous man perishes and the wicked man lives a long time. Can I just speak to you? When we experience tribulation, okay, when we don't run to God, when we don't seek after him, when we don't trust him, there's a couple different reactions we have. We either take that pain and bury it in our lives and just become angry at the world, okay? Or we take a second one, we point the finger at other people. Why, Lord, did you allow their child to live? Why, Lord, did they not suffer? Why, Lord, did you allow them to enjoy old age and I'm not? Why, Lord, are they wealthy and I am poor? We point the finger and say, why, Lord, did they have this and I don't have this? What does it say in Job 2.2? It says this, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Don't point the finger. Listen, God has introduced suffering into your life to teach you something. To cause you to want him more and to work on yourself a little bit. It produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results. It may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Don't point, enjoy today because tomorrow something bad might happen to you. Sorry for doom and gloom. It's just the truth. And to trust him. So you see the problem of pain in verse 14, the principle of pain that all people suffer. 
And then notice the proposals of common sense on pain. Now, some people see this as a separate section. Some people say that Solomon is correcting your perspective of yourself, and that is, I could see that. But within the context of pain before and the temptation after, I see in the middle that Solomon is really unpacking common sense on pain, that the world is difficult enough, so avoid four things. Verse 16, do not be excessively righteous what in the world and do not be overly wise why should you ruin yourself i've got more questions about that verse than any other verse in this entire book uh matter of fact a friend texted me this exact text i won't say who it was ecclesiastes 7 16 it's always said ecclesiastes seven sixteen. question mark do not be overly wise what does that refer to Do not be overly wise. In other words, what? Don't be full of yourself. That the world is difficult enough. Realize that you need God. And do not be overly righteous. Do not be legalistic. That you can somehow be good enough to earn God's favor. Can I just use an illustration? What did the Pharisees do? They saw the embodiment of the Messiah. They saw the embodiment of the Son of God, of God Himself, who made, who had no sin, no blemish before Him. And they saw Him in His, in real life and completely dismissed them. Why? Because they were overly righteous. They did not see their need for God. Common sense number one, if you have your notes, is that the world is difficult enough. Do not be prideful that you do not need God. Everyone needs him. Notice verse 17 and 18, the second principle of common sense. Verse 17, uh, do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? How many of you have ever heard a story about somebody dying because they were foolish? Okay, that's what he's saying. Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool Why should you die before your time? The world is difficult enough. Don't make it worse on yourself. That's what I see. Don't be excessively wicked and do not be excessively foolish. Don't jump out of an airplane without a parachute, okay? It's dumb. D-U-M-B. Don't make it worse on yourself, but then what should we do instead? Verse 18, it is good that you grasp one thing and also not let go of the other. For the one who fears God comes forth with both of them. The world is difficult enough. Don't make it worse than yourself. Rather, fear God. Um, How many of you, we've all known, we've all heard stories about people that um, perish in foolish ways. Um, How many of you have ever heard of a website called the Darwin Awards? All right, all right. I got it. Okay. Uh, now, I'm not making a pro-evolution statement. Okay, I'm not doing that. And if you think I am, that you probably take yourself too seriously. And if you have hate mail, send it to james at cbchsv.org. Don't send it to me. Okay. But the Darwin Awards tell stories about people dying doing foolish things. I'm just going to read one of those. To illustrate the point, the Darwin Awards honor those who tip chlorine into their gene pool by accidentally removing their own DNA from it during a spectacular climax of a great idea gone very, very bad. One fateful afternoon, a 55-year-old Marco retreated to his semi-detached workshop to make himself a tool for chimney cleaning. 
The chimney was too high for a simple room to work, but if he could attach a brush to a chain and then weigh it down with something, then that would do the trick. But what to use as a weight? He happened to find the perfect object. It was heavy yet compact, and best of all, it was made of metal. So he could weld it to the chain. He must somehow overlook the fact that the weights was a hand grenade filled with explosive material. Mark turned on his welding apparatus and began to weld the chain to the grenade. As the metal heated up, the grenade exploded and no more Marco. The force of the explosion killed Marco instantly, blasting shrapnel through the walls of the shed, shattering the windshield of his Mercedes parked outside. Unfortunately, Marco's chimney remained untouched. You know, we all have heard of people that kill themselves by doing foolish things, but we should not make it worse on ourselves. Rather, fear God. That's what he's saying. Then notice common sense number three, verse 19. Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. What is he saying? Value wisdom over status and power. That the world is tough enough, so value truth and righteousness and wisdom more than status, money, or power. Can I just speak, friends? How many, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this, but how many of you have ever faced the temptation to set aside truth for the ability to gain money or status or power? Yeah. That is a temptation that we all face. Notice verse 20. Indeed, there is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and never sins. Even the purest among us struggle to be ethical. We struggle to do what is wise in view of foregoing power and status. Even the most righteous men who have ever lived sin and struggled. I mean, think about the Bible. One of the things I love about the scripture is that there is only one perfect person. And he is clean and without blemish, but the rest of the saints that we see in the scriptures are very flawed. They set aside wisdom and truth and righteousness for convenience, for status, for power. I mean, think about Abraham, the father of faith. He gave away his wife to get by. Right? Jacob tricked his father, put on hair to steal the blessing. David got the hots for a woman named Bathsheba. He impregnated a married woman and then killed her husband on the battlefield. All people are sinful. Every one of us. You are not alone. Sin to you is not unique. That means that we should confess our sins when they pray for us to be healed because sin is not unique all of us struggle with it so then we should trust one another and actually be open to one another and overcome our issues in a world of pain value truth wisdom and righteousness do not set those aside for status money or power and then notice common sense number four in verse 21 through 22 also do not take Seriously, all the words which are spoken, how many of you have ever seen somebody that takes themselves too seriously? Okay, all right, I'm probably one of those. Okay, uh, anyways, um, I'm stressed out all the time, that's all it is. Um, 
Uh, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken, so that you will not hear your servant cursing you. For you also have realized that likewise you have many times cursed others. The world is difficult enough. Don't take yourself and others too seriously. Don't take others too seriously. Why? Because you make mistakes too. Also, do not take seriously all the words which are spoken. Can I just give, cut people some slack? I think that's kind of what he's saying. Cut people some slack. If they talk bad about you and you catch them, yeah, you might resent them and you might be angry and you might want to go to them and smack them a little bit, rough them up a little bit. But just remember that you are broken too, that you have probably gossiped about others too. Just forgive people. Can I just speak? The people that are around you aren't perfect either. You aren't perfect. Verse 23, I tested all this with wisdom. Notice what he says here. His self-awareness is awesome. Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, notice his self-awareness. Verse 20, I tested all this with wisdom and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What is he saying that even him is broken? What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious who can discover it? If Solomon can't understand everything, neither will you. So cut people some slack. Cut yourself some slack. Know that you aren't perfect. Can I just, I'm going to take a minute. Listen, you have limitations. You just do. What should you do? You should be humble enough then to listen to other people, to ask for forgiveness, to go before the Lord. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You should listen, be humble. Um, can I just pop your balloon for just a second? I'm going to just allow me to take a needle to your ego. Um, I know you know what I'm about to say, but do you really know it? That's the question. You aren't perfect. You aren't right about everything. <laughs> no nudging your spouse. Okay. You aren't perfect. You aren't right about everything. You make mistakes. You don't know everything. You can lighten up a little bit, and you can forgive other people. Others aren't perfect either. Your spouse isn't perfect. Your children aren't perfect. Your boss, your coworkers, your employees aren't perfect. Cut them a little slack. Have grace and love for people. Can I just speak also? We are hardest on the people that we love. If Solomon is imperfect, then so are you. And so are your children. Show them unconditional and compassionate love. And be nice to your spouse. Okay? Don't be grumpy all the time. Okay? Put away your phone and communicate that you love them and that you care for them. Because we are all sinful and broken. We all need forgiveness. We all need compassion. And guess what? You are not alone. If you are facing tribulation, you are not alone. Look around you. There is 
140 people in this room that probably should have raised their hands if they didn't, that they have endured pain. And so can you. You can make it. The same grace that God has for you, we should have for others. Ecclesiastes 7, 14-25, Solomon unpacks the problem of pain. And then verses 26-29, Solomon unpacks the problem of temptation. Now this is weird, okay? We think that Solomon is being misogynistic, but he's not. He's just making a point, okay? So just, just read it. Verse 26, And I discovered more bitter than the death of the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. What is he saying? That death is better than falling into the nets of sensuality and lust and adultery. How many of you have ever seen someone ruin their life by falling prey to lust and sexual temptation? Man, there's something about that that causes our lives to be completely and totally shipwrecked. Can I just speak? Be satisfied. Be satisfied. Verse 26 again. And I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets. He's not just blaming women. He's just talking about the sexual temptation we all face, male and female, whose hands are chains. How does it describe it? Snares and nets and chains. If you've seen anybody fall prey to sexual temptation, then you know that that is true. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her. How do you handle temptation? You run. You get out of there. You put down your phone. You call a friend. You get out of your house. You drive your car away from the spot that temptation comes. You run. How do you deal with pain and temptation and life under the sun? In prosperity you enjoy. In pain you trust God. In temptation you run. That's the point that he's making. What did Joseph do when Potiphar's wife got the hots for him? He ran away, leaving his coat, and he got thrown in prison for it. But the Lord eventually restored him and rescued him. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation has overtaken you, such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, and with temptation will provide a way of escape. So you will be able to endure. When you are tempted, not if you are tempted, but when, run. Get out of there. And if you can't run, then call a friend. Because temptation is something we all face. It's not unique. Call a Christian brother in Christ. Get involved in a small group. Here at Calvary Bible Church, a shameless plug. Verse 27, Behold, I have discovered this, says the Kohelet, the preacher, the one who assembles, the main character in the book, adding one thing to another to find an explanation. Verse 28, which I am still seeking, but have not found. Now, I believe his next phrase, he is speaking 
figuratively. He is using a figure of speech. He didn't literally interview a thousand men and a thousand women. I found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many things. And the men and women thing, let's not latch onto that, guys. That's a little bit cultural. Let's not just throw stones. He's just saying that men and women, all of us are broken. Only one in, one in a thousand. We're saying, no one is righteous. All of us are broken. But notice the theology in verse 29. Behold, I found only this, that God made us upright. That is true. How did God make us? He made us, what, perfect in the Garden of Eden, to walk with Him and to know Him in perfection. And then what? We decided to seek out many devices. We decided to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we introduced darkness and suffering and pain into the world. There is none that are righteous, no, not one. There is not one that seeketh after God. We seek out many devices. Notice what it says, Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, mankind, but they have sought out many devices. Do we struggle with that? You don't have to raise your hands. Cool. That's awkward. Um, do we struggle seeking out devices instead of seeking the Lord? When do we seek out sin and vices? When we aren't satisfied. What is this whole book about, guys? The whole book, all 12 chapters, can be summed up in one phrase. To be satisfied. To enjoy life under the sun. To eat, drink, and be merry. Amen? How many of you heard that? Like once or twice or like 10,000 times. Eat, drink, and be merry. When do we struggle with temptation and sin the most? When we aren't satisfied. We seek out lust when we aren't satisfied in our spouse. We seek out debt and material possessions when we aren't satisfied with what we have. We treat our children poorly when we aren't satisfied with their behavior in our lives. We turn grumpy and miserable at work when we aren't satisfied. We run from the will of God when we aren't satisfied in Him. Be satisfied. Just enjoy life. You know? That's what the Scripture says. So sue me. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, it's just what the Scripture says. To eat, drink, and be merry. That you will struggle less with temptation when you are dissatisfied in your spouse. That's why it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 9, to enjoy the wife of your youth. Just enjoy God's blessings. You don't need all the stuff in the world. It doesn't deliver anyways. Money can't satisfy. Lust can't satisfy. Prestige in the world can't satisfy. Power won't satisfy. Status won't satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is God and His blessings under the sun. So trust Him. Turn to Him. Don't turn to the world. Psalm 16, verse 11. And I'm turning there so I don't butcher it in Byron's translation of his own brain. 
You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. If you're looking for satisfaction in this world, there's only one person to turn to. You can try. You can try the devices of the world. You can try to succumb to temptation. You can try to succumb to pain, but it will not satisfy. Um, The point today is this. How do we deal with pain and temptation in life under the sun, in prosperity, in joy, in pain, trust God, and in temptation run? I have five minutes. Um, Okay, and then I'll be done. I got one thing else, two things else to say. There is, on the back of your note sheet, there's a list of questions that I would encourage you to look over this week as you process just the sermon and and the passage. Um, I'm not going to go over all of them. I'm going to talk about one. When we do not handle pain and temptation well, what happens? What happens? That the enemy gains a foothold in our life, and he turns that foothold into a fortress. And he uses that to batter us and beat us down and to rudder our lives, shipwrecking it and our families and every blessing that God has given to us. Can I just speak? The devil is real, and God is real. Half of the battle is spiritual Warfare, I believe, is just realizing that it is true and that it is real. My question for you today is, what strongholds are in your life? We all got them. Byron's not immune to them. I'm working on them. Okay, all right. So I'm I'm working on them. I got some pretty strong strongholds that have been fortified in the last year. We all have them. Let's not run. Let's deal with it. Let's go to the Lord. Let us confess our sins and pray for us so you can be healed. Let us deal with the pain and temptation of life. For the Lord is good, and in him are pleasures forever. Before I close, allow me just to share real quick. Um, you know, life is tough. And if anybody doesn't say that, they're lying to you. Um, I don't care if they're a believer or non-believer. The life is just hard. It's painful. That's why we need Jesus, friends. He is the only source of hope and redemption and eternal life. If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, then number one, you should acknowledge that you are a sinner. You should realize your need for him. Realize that you cannot save yourself, that there are not enough good works that you can stack on top of each other to build a bridge to enter into heaven. That you are completely and totally broken. If you don't believe it, go ask your wife or your husband. They'll tell you you're broken and sinful. I guarantee it. Um, And your children at that rate. (laughs) Okay. Maybe your children would be a better testimony to our brokenness. Acknowledge that we're sinners. Number two is to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord of our life. That we cannot save ourselves. That he alone has the key to eternal life. That I would believe in him. That I shall be saved. And then number three, that we should change our life. That you cannot believe in the gospel and be the same. That you must change. I'm not saved by works, but because I am saved, I do good works. That the gospel is living water springing up inside of us. That we are born again. 
If you have never believed in Jesus Christ, acknowledge you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ, and change your life. If you have more questions about Calvary Bible Church or the gospel or Jesus or anything for that matter or this passage, um, just see me after the service. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for today. Pain and temptation are just part of it. It's just part of life. Um, Lord, I pray that we would not turn to our own devices. We would not seek out other things. But, Lord, number one, that we would simply be satisfied in the blessings that you've given to us so that the enemy doesn't gain a foothold. And, Lord, that when we struggle, that when we have a hard time enduring suffering and pain, Lord, that we would remember your goodness and we would pursue you and trust you. And, Lord, that we would seek out a brother or sister in Christ and that we would pray for one another so we can be healed. Um, Lord, I just pray that we would uh, fall in love with you. You are a good God that has come and has died for us and gives us blessings under the sun that we did not deserve. Lord, I just thank you for this church family. I thank you for the diversity of ages that we have. And Lord, I pray that we would share the wisdom in our lives together. Lord, that we would grow in our faith. And thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen.